Before I begin, let's pray. Father, as we open up your word today, I pray that you may speak through me, that you will give us all listening ears and responsive hearts to your message for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've come this last week in our servant series, Made for God, and I hope that it's helped us to grow as Christians and to explore how we can serve God more fully in our everyday lives. And this closing talk, I'm returning to the topic of our God-given gifts and abilities under the, the rather intimidating heading, I think, of spiritual gifts. Putting intimidating and gifts together, for me personally, I was reminded actually with a bit of a shiver about some early-ish childhood experiences. As a young child, I was quite a good pianist for my age. And in those days, music festivals were very popular. They're not the sort of music festivals that you have now where you're just sort of celebrating community music. Uh, for children, at least, these were competitive classes where you had to play a set piece in front of an audience and judges, and there was only one winner. Uh, now, my piano teacher insisted that I went in for these things several times every year. I absolutely hated them. Even though I used to do reasonably well sometimes, I still hated that whole comparison thing, and it, it almost put me off playing the piano at all. Now, Paul, in our reading today, was writing to a Corinthian church that was gifted in really many ways. It was a church who, in Paul's words in the opening chapter of 1 Corinthians, did not lack any spiritual gift but they were a church that was very much into the comparison game. In particular, they prized the gift of wisdom and eloquence, like many Greeks of the culture of the day. And they looked down on those who lacked those gifts, even if they possessed other gifts. Now, Paul has a lot to say about spiritual gifts, but before we explore the variety of gifts themselves, I want to remind you again of those opening verses in our reading today, where Paul reminds the Corinthians that God distributes different gifts to all his people, not just some. And I'd like to read verses four to six again, but in the message version, where it, I think it, it speaks with a particular freshness. So here's verses four to six again. God's various gifts are handed out everywhere, but they all originate in God's spirit. God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere, but God himself is behind it all. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit and to all kinds of people. 
The variety is wonderful. Now, I think the term spiritual gifts is just a little bit off-putting, isn't it? It seems to imply something very holy and very special, something just for the super-spiritual or those of us who have the misfortune to wear a dog collar. Um, But that's not the case, because the first point that I want to emphasize is that Paul says that everyone is given gifts. Those spiritual gifts don't necessarily mean supernatural gifts, although it does encompass those as well. But simply gifts given by God through his Holy Spirit to all of us. Those of you who are in small groups following the series will will have already done, or might be about to do, depending on where where you are in the series, um, an exercise that helps you discover what spiritual gifts you might have. Now, I'm not going to preempt the exercise here, but I just want to show you the hugely rich variety of spiritual gifts which are mentioned not just in 1 Corinthians 12 that Michael read to us, but in other places in Scripture as well. Now, there was an alphabetical list, deliberately alphabetical, I suspect, so that one gift wasn't higher than the other, um, but that was, was, was given in, in this, um, this exercise. And um, I'd like you to actually have a look at it now. Um, these gifts are mentioned, all of them, three, at least three times in Scripture, and some of them many more times. And you can see they range from administration to wisdom. And I'm sure the church office would say that administration, of course, should come out on, at, the, at the front, but uh, that is an accident of the alphabet. Um, and they range from clearly miraculous powers, um, you know, the supernatural, miraculous powers, prophecy, etc., to those that you might consider very much more everyday, administration, hospitality, hidden gifts, like praying for others. And it's, it's a big list, isn't it? And I'm sure it's not actually exhaustive. Now, I defy anyone here to say that they don't have a measure of at least one of those gifts. And you almost certainly have several. And a good starting point for discerning those gifts that God has given you, um, you can pay attention to um, the gifts on that list that sort of you feel attracted to, that sort of stirs your heart. Um, Patrick was talking about your heart's desire last week. And if you feel you know, a sort of stirring towards one of those, chances are, actually, you are already exercising that gift in some measure. Now, if you'd like to have a go at the um, small group's gifts questionnaire and you're not in a small group, um, Richard, I believe you've got some spare copies at the back? Excellent. If you can't find them, ask Richard, ask the service. It's It's a really helpful questionnaire for you to just make you realize that actually perhaps you have a gift that you haven't either used or exercised or even known that you you had. So I would would really recommend it. The second point that I want to make is that all spiritual gifts are necessary for the proper functioning of the church. 
from the more sort of glamorous upfront gifts like wisdom and eloquence to the more inconspicuous and often hidden gifts like faith, persistence in praying for others, giving, all those gifts are necessary. And as we heard in the reading, Paul uses the analogy of the church as a body with everyone performing a different and necessary function within it. And we need every part of our bodies in order to function properly. As Paul says in verse 23, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Now, As a church, if we fail to value or use the gifts that God has given us, we're like a spider with no legs. The church will end up going nowhere. Richard gave us an example a couple of weeks ago of his experience in doing a personality test and making the point that we all have unique personalities and abilities. Uh, I had a similar experience several years ago when I was on a Myers-Briggs course. That's another type of sort of personality test. We were divided up into groups and um, each group was given a problem to solve. And we didn't know it at the time, but some groups comprised of people who all had similar gifts and strengths and others groups which comprised of a mixture of gifts. Now, I was chairing my group And my experience at first was it was actually rather like herding cats because everyone was coming from the problem from a different angle. And yeah, you've guessed it. I was in the group of people with a mixture of gifts. And when we harnessed them together, we came up with a really good solution. Now, one of the groups uh, with people of similar personalities and abilities in it actually ended up abandoning the exercise. They just couldn't see their way through it. All gifts are of equal value. We didn't earn them, we were given them. And so we shouldn't compare them. You know, my gift is more important than your gift. You might not say it, but you might think it. Um, Or feel envious of others. I wish I had his or her gift. God doesn't give us our individual spiritual gifts for our individual glorification, but for another purpose. Which brings me on to my third and perhaps most important point, actually. What's the purpose of these spiritual gifts? In this last talk of the Made for Good series, I want to return to the beginning, to a key verse from Ephesians. Richard actually mentioned it right at the beginning of the service. And it's one that underlines the whole series. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared beforehand to be our way of life. God created us as unique individuals. He saved us in Christ by his grace. That's a free gift. We can't boast that we've earned our salvation by working hard for it. But he has created us, shaped us, if you like, 
to do good works in our lives, to further his kingdom here on earth. And in order to help us to do this, that's the reason he's given us these particular spiritual gifts. The gifts may be different, well, they will be different, I suspect, and we may use them differently at different points in our lives, but they're given to us, all of them, so that we can use them to help others and to partner with God in helping to bring in his kingdom. Paul said, you are the body of Christ. The gifts we receive from God differ from person to person, but his church is designed to work together in harmony, like a living body. So there should be an overriding unity in our diversity, although that is perhaps easier to say than it is to achieve. Unity in diversity has been a popular political aspiration over the years. Nero, the first Indian prime minister, said in 1946 of his people, all of them have their distinctive features. All of them have still more the distinguishing mark of India. When apartheid was dismantled in South Africa in 1981, the theme of the celebrations was unity in diversity. And in 2000, the EU adopted unity in diversity as its official motto. Now, the reality has been somewhat harder to achieve. India still struggles with tensions between the status of Hindus of different castes and between Muslims and Hindus. Racial tensions still abound in South Africa, often based on some groups of people feeling intrinsically superior to others. And we're all familiar with tensions within the EU. I'm certainly not going to go there. But our track records as Christians isn't brilliant either. We can see plenty of diversity in the church, Orthodox, Roman Catholic, a staggering 45,000 Protestant denominations globally. But we've often struggled to achieve a unity. Protestants and Roman Catholics are often not permitted to do something as fundamental as sharing bread and wine together, as Jesus instructed his followers to do. And of course, today, in Ukraine, Russian and Ukrainian Christians are fighting one another. But before we get too despondent about thinking about the state of the world and the Christian church, I'd like you to remember the phrase, think globally, act locally. Or maybe we should change it to pray globally, act locally. We can't change the world except through prayer. But we all have our own local spheres of influence. Some of us have been participating in the Deanery Living in Love and Faith course, where we've been exposed to a huge diversity of opinion across the Anglican Church on matters relating to sexuality and relationships and marriage, and listening to and understanding where other people that are coming from 
was really quite difficult at times. But I think most of us came away from the course with a new understanding that despite our differences, our primary identity was in Christ as part of his body together. Just imagine if Russian and Ukrainian Christian soldiers believed that their primary identity was in Christ rather than in their national identity and acted accordingly. It's quite a sobering thought, isn't it? More personally, uh, David and I have recently experienced the care and concern that members of the body of Christ here have for one another when, as David being a, a bit unwell, we, we've, we've been the beneficiaries of a number of those spiritual gifts that I lifted earlier. Intercession, hospitality, helping, healing, gifts exercised actually by many of you here today. And we felt really blessed And I know that we are just one example of the many examples of care and concern that we have for other members of the body of Christ here at Holy Trinity. But Paul ended his teaching to the Corinthian church about exercising um, spiritual gifts. He concluded by saying that he would show them the most excellent way to exercise them. And that was the way of love. Love isn't a gift of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit, something that we must all aspire to. And it's key to our unity as members of the body of Christ. We can have all the fancy spiritual gifts in the world, but if we exercise them for our own glory, without love, we gain nothing at all. And so whilst I want you to encourage, I want to encourage you all today to seek to discover what your own particular spiritual gifts are and to discern where God wants you to use them in his service, I want to finish with Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 13 on how we might exercise those gifts with love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And so, Lord, we pray that you will help us to use the gifts that you have given us, working together in unity as your body here on earth. And above all, as we have experienced your love for us, may we exercise those gifts that you have given us in love and service to others.
Amen.